All right, guys, what I'd like you to do is, is I'd like you to turn your Bibles to the book of Romans. We are in Romans chapter 3. We're, we're going to be starting another section of the book of Romans. And so let me kind of remind you of what we've been doing. We've just, we're going through the book of Romans to help us to understand our faith. I find that a lot of times believers today, they, they know they're believers. Maybe they, they have expressed faith in Jesus Christ, but that's about it. They don't really know anything else beyond that. They don't really know how to answer people's questions. They listen to a lot of people making a lot of assumptions about what Christianity is, but when it comes to themselves, they don't really understand themselves. And so I felt like, okay, let's be good for us to go through Paul's really good explanation of all that we believe that is found in the book of Romans. And so the key verse to understanding Romans is chapter 1, verse 17, and in it Paul says this, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So if you want to know the essence of your faith, essence of Christianity, it's this. The just live by faith. Faith in who? Jesus. Not in yourselves, but in Jesus. And so he begins to lay out for us, and this is what we looked at in the first section, in the first section, we looked at the human dilemma, and that was from chapter 1 through half of chapter 3. He describes how all of humanity is facing a dilemma and that it is going to hell. It is facing hell because, number one, they're either in the first group, they don't want God in their lives anyhow, so guess what? He gives them over, they face the consequences. Second group is the moral group. They're the group that judges everybody else but they themselves can't live up to the judgment that they pass on others. The third group, he identifies them as Jews, and if you remember primarily the church at this time is made up of Jews, but it's the religious group. They think they're okay with God because they're doing the right things. They stand on the word of God. They do all the right stuff. They're doing all this empty rituals. They even present themselves as teachers of morality, but they themselves don't live up to what they're trying to teach others about. And then just to be sure that everybody understands, because you might say, well, I'm not in those three groups. For the first part of chapter 3, he kind of points out that everybody's messed up, everybody is not seeking after God, and that all are condemned. Now, why did he do that? He just wanted you to understand your condition. That there's nothing you can do for acceptance. What do you mean acceptance? There's nothing you can do to get in good with God. And sometimes I think Christians forget that. Sometimes I think we forget that there's nothing we can do to get in good with God. Now, you know, I've been pastoring this July. I will be ordained 30 years now. And, and I've, this is my second church. I've been here 22. And I, uh, through the years, have met people that thought that when they wanted God to do something for them, they felt that they needed to do more to get God to do something. What do you mean do more? Well, show up every week. Do every kind of Bible study. Volunteer for everything. 
so that God would answer their prayer concerning whatever the issue might be. And through the years with different people, it has been different things. And for some of them, God answered or God provided. They got the answer that they wanted. But for a lot of them, they didn't get the answer. And when the answer didn't come or if they got the answer, then they're okay. And then you don't see them anymore. And so you enter into this concept, we've got to do, do, do to get acceptance with God. Well, Paul's trying to tell us here with the first three chapters is there really isn't anything you can do. All your efforts are meaningless. Because there is acceptance with God, but it's not what you think it's based on. It's based on something completely different. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at it from Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 31, okay? So let's take a look at what he's saying. He's going to move into this second section, which I call acceptance with God, okay? So let's take a look here. Here's what Paul writes in verse 21. But now... The righteousness of a God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because, his for, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where's the boasting then? Is it excluded? By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Therefore we conclude, let me read it again, that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Okay, say, so George, okay, what's going on here? You're saying we're moving beyond, we're talking about acceptance with God. What are we going to see here? Well, we're going to break this passage down into three sections. We're going to see, first of all, the provision of grace. Because, first of all, he just already described, we're all doomed. Without Jesus, we're doomed. I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care what part of the railroad track you were born on. I don't care what your education level is. I, there is nothing you can do, okay? Nothing, period, okay? The provision of grace. Then we're going to see the basis. What is the basis of that acceptance? How is it that we can have acceptance with God, okay? 
And then finally, we're going to look at, is it my work or his work that justifies me? Is it my work or his work? And that's going to be a big question for you and I here today, okay? And what, here's what my hope is, is that as we go through this, you're going to realize that when it comes to you being accepted with God, it's not about you. It's not about you. What do you mean? Well, let's take a look. First of all, let's look at the provision of grace. I've got three things I want to point out here. Look with me at verse 21. Here's what Paul writes, okay? But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Very same phrase that he used in verse 17 of chapter 1, remember? That the righteousness of God is revealed. What's he talking about righteousness here? Well, he's talking about acceptance. And here's what I want you to see. The righteousness required for God's acceptance is not from the law. It's not from the law. Now, when I say that, everything inside of me wants to rebel against that. What do you mean, George? Why do you want to rebel against that? Because from the moment you could walk and listen to your mommy and daddy, when they told you, no, you knew what you shouldn't do, right? And when they would say to you, yes, you knew what you could do. Now, some of us, when we heard no, we kept on doing the no, right? And we understood that we got disciplined. And then so, therefore, we would have to do more of the yes to get acceptance, right, with them. No, we raised and we're, we live in a culture where when you go to school, everything is like that. What? Get good grades. Do what's right to get good grades. If you're in a sport, do what's right or do more laps, Right? Everything is like that. We're, we're, we're in a culture that's immersed in what do you have to do? You're in a job. Want a bonus? Bring up production. Maybe we'll give you a bonus, right? And so when we hear something that says the righteousness of God, that is the righteousness that is the basis for my acceptance with God, I can't do anything for it. It's not from the law. That runs so countercultural to us. Why? Because I talk to people all the time. How do you know you're okay with God? I keep the golden rule and the Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah, really, are you perfect at that? Yeah. Yeah, I, the number one thing Americans struggle with is one of the Ten Commandments, covetousness, right? We want, want that truck would be better with me than him, right? That this is the reality. We struggle. There's, there, there's no way. The law just reveals my shortcomings. I can't gain his acceptance by doing the law. This is the point he's trying to make here. So many of us, and I find so many of us are, are so 
deceived even in the church. What do you mean even in the church? Now think about it. I told you about people who show up and do all the right things so they can get an answer from God. Well, it could be just even a part of our life. Suddenly, if I start having my devotions more, if I start reading the Bible more, if I start doing this, if I start listening to this Christian radio station all the time and listen to 10 podcasts a day on my phone that are all Christian and, and, and do change this and do this, and maybe, maybe, God, you'll bless me. But your acceptance with God has nothing to do with that. Think about, I mean, think about how realistic we need to be about that. So, for instance, you know what? Lori and I, we have four kids. They are a blessing to us. And we accept them and love them. Are we disappointed sometimes with decisions they make? Yeah. But that has nothing to do with my acceptance of them, does it? It shouldn't. God's the same way, folks. The righteousness required for God's acceptance is not from the law. Here it is. What is it? Well, verse 22 tells us. Look with me at verse 22. He says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference. Here's the second thing I want you to see. This righteousness is available to all through faith in Jesus. So the means of having this acceptance, it's available to everybody. There is nobody left out. This righteousness that, that brings about the acceptance that I have with God comes through who? Jesus Christ. And who's it available to? Everyone who what? Believes. Believes in what? Believes in Jesus. Understands who he is, what he did for them. And their need for them. For him. This, this, is, this is the reality. So acceptance with God comes through what? Faith. Third thing I want you to see here. Verse 23. This is where it's interesting. So he makes this statement. We're all familiar with it. We sometimes use it in our gospel presentations. But this is part of his argument here. Here's what he's saying. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now this is a continuation of verse 22 where he's talking about the righteousness of God is available to those who believe. Why? Because everybody's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. His point is, you can't do anything for it. It has to come through faith. So here's what I want you to see. Because everyone's a sinner, this is the only means for righteousness. This is it. It's not you. Remember I told you, this isn't about you. This is about Jesus. And your acceptance with God isn't about you. That's why he would say the guy like Paul, who murdered Christians, who was arrogant, boastful. And he would save a man like that. That's why when Jesus looks over 
to his one side and sees a thief and asks to be remembered when he enters into his kingdom, Jesus says, you'll be with me today in paradise. A guy who's being crucified for committing a crime that he said, I've done. This is acceptance. Acceptance comes through what? Faith, not through your actions, because let's just be honest. You can put lipstick on a pig, but you still have a pig, right? You can dress up being a sinner, but you're still a what? A sinner worthy of what? Hell. And the only means, the only means that we have with being accepted by him is that somebody else took care of it so that we could be accepted. Because you sure can't. I sure can't. It has to be the Lord. And he did that, and that's where our faith is. And that is the provision of grace. So that's where he gets into verse 24 and 26, and he's going to give us the basis. The basis now for acceptance. How is it that we're accepted? So let's start verse 24. We're going to see what he says here. Verse 24 in chapter 3. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So you and I are, I think this is good for you to know, justified freely. We're accepted freely. So let me just stop before I give you the point. Just so you know, this isn't putting God out by accepting you, because sometimes you might think that way. Oh, I've got to be their friend. No, no that, that doesn't even enter into God's mind. God justifies you, in other words, accepts you freely. Isn't that interesting? Freely. He, it's like no sweat off his back to accept you. Come on in. You're my child, okay? How does he do that? Here's the basis, okay? Jesus' work of redemption provided our acceptance with God by grace. His work of redemption. Well, what does redeem mean? Well, I think you know what redeem means. You get a coupon, you go redeem it for what? Price off when you go buy something? It means to purchase something on the basis of something else. Well, he is purchasing us. We were on the slave markets of sin headed to hell he purchased us, he redeemed us through his what, folks? His sacrifice, his blood. He freely did that. So that you and I could be accepted. That, that, that's the basis. The basis of his acceptance is his finished work on the what? The cross for us. He paid the penalty. He is the one who satisfied God's wrath. In fact, that comes up in verse 25 and 26, notice what he says here. He says this. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. That he might be just and a justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, so our text, we're using a New King James here, uses the big Bible word, propitiation. Romans, he uses it here. John uses it in his epistle. What is that, George? Propitiation means this. It means 
wrath satisfier. Another way of putting it is atoning sacrifice. Those are all the meanings. So what do you mean wrath satisfier? Jesus becomes the one who satisfies God's wrath. Now, why is that important to me? Well, it's our sin that was going to be judged by whose wrath? God's wrath. That's what the judgment that's coming on the world is God's wrath. Now, you and I were saved from that judgment, saved from experiencing that judgment in hell by what? The one who paid the price for us, who became the what? The atoning sacrifice, the propitiation, the satisfier of wrath for our sins. So his work of redemption, that is his sacrifice on the cross, provided you and I with acceptance with God. So now when you go to him, you don't have to be like, hey, it's me, God. I'm, I know I shouldn't be here. No, no, you can be there. Why? Because he took care of it. You're there because of Jesus. In fact, Hebrews tells us we can come boldly into the throne room of God. Don't be mealy-mouthed like, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be here talking to you about this. No, go on in. It says come boldly into his throne room and what? Present your need for help. Why? Because Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And we are justified because of that. We are accepted with God. Is that not awesome? The basis for our acceptance with God is who? Jesus. Jesus. Now, so remember what I just said to you, because we're going to talk about our work and his work here in a minute. Is it our work or is it his work? Remember what I said. When we talk about our acceptance with God, I told you at the beginning, so I'm going to reiterate it to you again. It is not about you. Some of you need to write that down. It is not about you. Well, who's it about then, George? He just told us. It's about Jesus, who is what? The redemption, our redemption, the atoning sacrifice, who provides for us what? Our acceptance with God. Because why? Without him, we sure can't do it by keeping the law. We're doomed. There's nothing about us that can do anything to gain that. It's him, right? It's him. And so to reiterate the point, he wants to talk now about the whole issue about, so where does our acceptance come from then? And to reiterate the point that it comes through faith, he's going to point out to you that it doesn't come from by what you do. So notice what he says here. Look with me, first of all, at verse 27. Here's what he says. Verse 27 Where's the boasting then? Is it excluded by what? Law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So Paul likes to ask these questions like he's anticipating what his readers might be thinking. So he's, he's listening to somebody there. He thinks he's hearing in his crowd that he's writing to that somebody might say, 
Well, isn't it by what I do? No. No, it isn't by what you do. It isn't. Because you can't ever do enough. See, remember I told you last week when we talked about it, we're the 80% crowd. What do you mean? God tells us these things, and we're like, if I do 80% on the things on the list, then I consider myself to be what? Obedient. Well, the problem is, we didn't do 20% of it. And we might think that we're doing okay, but according to God's law, we're not. Because didn't Jesus say if you fail in one area of the law, you've broken the whole law? I, I think it's interesting when they were debating in the Jerusalem council and Acts about whether or not Gentiles should be circumcised, Peter stands up and says, why are we imposing on them something that we ourselves cannot even keep? It's not by the law. So here's the point I want you to see. Our acceptance does not come through the law or works, but through faith. Your acceptance with God doesn't come by you trying to keep the law or all the good works that you're doing because it comes by faith. Now, why would I say that? Well, remember when we talked about the whole issue of our sins and we talked about the different groups that were condemned, I told you that even the righteous religious person is condemned because he's thinking he's doing the wrong things, but he's not. Why? Well, remember, how do you know that what you're doing is good? Because you might appear good to everyone else, but in your heart, you might have the wrong motives for doing what's good. How do you know? You don't know. Because the very essence of who we are is, is corrupted. Do you understand? God knows that. So he knows that even in our best efforts of trying to do good, we can't be good. So somebody else has to do it for us. So my acceptance with God is me coming to Jesus and saying to him, it's not me, Lord, it's you. And you love me in spite of me. And thank you. Thank you. Isn't that awesome? Think, so think about it. Here's the, here's the second thing I want you to see. Look with me at verse 28. He defines it a little bit more. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Here's what he's saying. Through faith, we are justified or accepted by God apart from the law. So if I came up to you, forget that you're listening to me right now. If, if I came up to you and I said, how do you know you're accepted with God? The tendency would be, well, you know, I go to church and I give and, and I do this and I read my Bible and I try to do good works and I try... You, how do you know you're accepted with God? Those things don't make you accepted with God. Here's what the proper answer is. I can't do anything for acceptance. He did it for me. Jesus did it for me. 
Do, do you understand? We're justified or accepted by God apart from the law. Well, then that raises the big question then, okay, because Paul's, Paul's trying to, to, to anticipate again what a question is. Look with me. He then brings up verse 29, 30. He says, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since therefore is, there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish it. What do you mean we establish the law? We just said we don't need the law. No, no, you establish the law. Why? Because of this. Listen to me. The law is established because it shows your need for faith in Jesus. It shows your need. So, you know what? I'm, I'm a big proponent that you read your Bibles, and you need to. But I am not going to tell you that every time you read your Bible, it's going to be sweet and wonderful. Because there are times when I read my Bible, I get convicted. I get like something just stabs me right in the heart because it reveals what's wrong with me. Now, if I listen to some people in their conversations about Christianity, I, I need to just take that part of the Bible out, rip it out. Because it's not supposed to make me feel bad. No, no, the law is supposed to what? Reveal your need. Because what it should do is produce this. And this is what I'm learning. Yeah, God, you're right. I'm a mess. And I am so thankful that you accept me as a mess, not because of myself, but because of what Jesus did for me. That's what's so awesome, isn't it? It's not about you. It's about him. And when you realize that, man, that puts everything in perspective. What do you mean it puts everything in perspective? You can be gracious to the first group that says, I don't want to have anything to do with God, and they run off and do their own thing, and God gives them over. You can be gracious to the moralist who says, oh, I'm wagging a finger at them while they're doing the same thing. You can be gracious to the religious person because you realize they're trying to achieve some sort of acceptance with God on their own, but you realize... There's nothing they can do for it. Their only acceptance comes through what? Faith in Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that you were gracious to me to help me to see that. And now I have faith. Not in myself, but in you. And when you begin to realize that, the scriptures become open to you. What do you mean? So, you know, one of the favorite, my favorite verses, okay, Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. I probably quote that so much now, you could probably quote it back to me. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in them. So there it is, the character of God. God is ordering your steps, and he takes delight in your life. Okay, then here's the next verse. 
which blows me away when you understand that it has nothing to do with me. It's all about him. Though he yet stumble, he'll not be utterly cast down. Why? Because the Lord upholds him with his hand. That's God. And do I stumble? You better believe it. And I know you do too. It's about Jesus. You say, okay, George, where do we go with this? Well, here's where we go. In a moment, we're going to be partaking in the table. The whole basis for coming to the table isn't you. Don't think it ever is. Because if you think it's you, you've totally missed the reality of what Christianity is. We are accepted by God. We are justified by our what? Faith. Faith in who? Jesus. Not in yourself. And surely some of you have been around long enough now to know you can't trust yourself, right? Isn't that true? So when you look at this passage and you realize the dilemma that humanity is in, you realize that the only solution to the dilemma and our acceptance with God is one person. Jesus. And that's where your faith should be. Let me pray for you.